I'm David Lederer, Deputy Editor of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. It's my pleasure today to interview Drs. Jamie Todd and Scott Palmer from Duke University Medical Center and Dr. Gail Weinman, Deputy Director of the Division of Lung Diseases at the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. Drs. Todd and Palmer published an original research article entitled, Using ClinicalTrials.gov to Understand the State of Clinical Research in Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Medicine, published in the October 2013 issue of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. Dr. Weinman is the lead author of an editorial commenting on the paper. Dr. Todd, Dr. Palmer, Dr. Weinman, welcome, and thank you for joining me today. Dr. Todd, let, let me begin with you. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about your study? Well, thanks, David, for inviting us to participate today. The primary objective of our study was to provide an overview of the current state of interventional clinical research in pulmonary critical care and sleep medicine. To do this, we leveraged a restructured database that contains the annotated data from clinicaltrials.gov. The database was created through the efforts of the Clinical Trials Transformation Initiative, or CITI, a unique public-private partnership focused on identifying practices that will increase the quality and efficiency of clinical trials. The CITI website provided in our article describes in detail the extensive amount of work that went into transforming the study-level data registered at clinicaltrials.gov into this new publicly available aggregate resource. From this aggregate database, we downloaded information reported on more than 40,000 interventional studies registered at clinicaltrials.gov over a three-year period. Using methodology developed by CITI and other collaborators here at Duke, we identified 2,226 interventional trials relevant to pulmonary critical care and sleep medicine. Many of these trials were relatively small, with most reporting an actual or anticipated enrollment of fewer than 100 patients. The most common diseases studied were asthma and COPD, with sleep-disordered breathing, cystic fibrosis, and pulmonary hypertension all falling in the top five. Industry was the single largest identifiable funding source, and there were some interesting variations in primary outcomes depending on the funding source, with industry-funded studies focusing more on lung function endpoints and NIH studies more often including mortality as a primary outcome. Another notable finding of our work was that as a whole, pulmonary critical care and sleep medicine appeared underrepresented in the interventional trial portfolio, accounting for only about 5% of all trials registered over the three-year time frame we analyzed. In contrast, oncology comprised 22% and cardiovascular disease comprised about 8% of trials registered during this same time period. Looking ahead, we believe this new database can be a valuable tool to monitor trends in trial activity over time within our subspecialty and provide important information to key government, industry, and public policy stakeholders in shaping the direction of clinical trials in the future. Well, that sounds really exciting. Let me ask you, what, what drove you to ask that question? Well, as a clinical researcher, I'm aware of the legal obligation to register interventional research um, and also how cognizant of the labor-intensive nature of this process. Through the work of the city collaboration, it became apparent that not only is clinicaltrials.gov a useful resource for the public to identify ongoing studies of interest, but as the largest trial registry in the world, it also represents a rich data repository through which to better understand the scope of clinical research in our discipline as a whole. We also found it a valuable resource to compare trials among medical specialties and potentially identify opportunities to improve clinical research practices. 
And, and this is a relatively new approach, it seems like. Did you experience any challenges in the design of your study or the conduct of your study? As you can imagine, we encountered a number of challenges in integrating such a large amount of data. Most of these were related to a lack of standard ontology at clinicaltrials.gov and free text entry for certain data elements that are collected upon trial registration. We used some technological approaches such as text string searches to minimize the effects of this heterogeneity on our data analysis, but it still represented a major barrier to a more high-level synthesis of the data. For example, primary outcome measurements are collected in free text format, thus certain data may have been underrepresented or inaccurately categorized due to typographical or spelling errors. In addition, the level of completeness varied for non-mandatory data elements. Beyond these challenges that I just mentioned, it's also, I think, important to note that because of current legal obligations, the data at clinicaltrials.gov is most likely to be complete for interventional drug or device studies sponsored by U.S.-based or multinational organizations. And because of this, our results don't apply to non-interventional studies or those that may have been represented in a number of smaller trial registries around the world. Well, it sounds like that was a, a lot of work, and congratulations on your paper. Dr. Palmer, let me turn to you for a moment. Um, what's the message here from your paper for clinical trialists? Well, thanks, David, for the opportunity to reflect on our results and participate in this podcast and, and to publish our results. I don't think there's one uh, single or simple message. Um, as Jamie outlined, there are a number of challenges and caveats that I think everyone needs to be aware of with how we interpret the data. But if we take a, a big picture view of the data we presented, I think one of the really striking points, uh, certainly for us, was the large disparity between the growing public health burden of chronic respiratory disease, diseases like COPD and asthma, and the relatively small number of interventional clinical trials uh, represented in the uh, entire data set. And we had a, a figure, uh, as Jamie alluded to, where we compared diseases uh, with a comparable morbidity burden, asthma, COPD, heart disease, and cancer, and looked at the number of trials by study phase. And at all phases, but particularly uh, as you get into phase two, three, and four, we really see lung disease underrepresented as compared to cancer and heart disease. And I, I don't think our data tells us why that is, but I think our data in aggregate is important to recognize that that allow us, rather, to recognize that that disparity exists and perhaps to start to think about it. And as we discuss in the manuscript, it may reflect a number of possibilities. Uh, certainly, there may be a lack of drugs moving through the development pipeline feeding those early phase trials, um, but there may also be underfunding of some of the later phase larger trials. So there are many levels at which we can use that data to think about how to move the field forward. We did emphasize on the bright side that, and highlight the work by the CF Foundation, because I think that's an example of CF obviously being a relatively rare pulmonary disease, uh, where that disease was well represented in terms of interventional clinical trial activity within our data set. So it was the fourth most common disease uh, that was studied with interventional trials. And what we took away from that is that the CF Foundation perhaps provides a model where private foundations working with industry and the NIH and patients and committed physicians can really together create the infrastructure to allow trial activity to occur and move that particular subspecialty area of research forward. 
I also appreciate that we have the NIH participating in this discussion on the call today. And I think, you know, one of the things that I'm very excited about is the forward-thinking approach the NIH and particularly the NHLBI is taking with regards to trying to move from basic science to translation and clinical research. And I would just point out, I was very fortunate to be funded through the Cadet 1 program. And I think you know, as that program moves forward with Cadet 2 and, and other opportunities, it may actually help this gap in closing that gap. It's a re really interesting set of data, but I don't think we can provide all the answers, David. Yeah. So Dr. Wyman, let me now turn to you. Um, uh, Dr. Palmer talked about industry NIH, NIH partnership, talked about funding translational work. What's the message here for funding agencies from this paper? Is the message that we need more clinical trials? Is it that we need more basic investigation into mechanisms of disease to expand the pipeline of novel targets to be studied in future clinical trials? Is it something else? Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity to answer. Uh, improving the public's health really requires a lot of different kinds of research and a lot of partners, as Dr. Palmer and Dr. Todd has suggested. And these are all interdependent. Really, one can't move forward without the others. So we need, we need all of it. And Dr. Todd's analyses allow each of us, each of the partners, to take a closer look at the characteristics of what's been funded and to ask ourselves, you know, where are the deficits and shortcomings, and for which ones is each of us uniquely positioned to make a difference? So like Dr. Palmer, I think there, there are many messages depending on one's perspectives, interests, and mission. There's really no right, one right message. Yeah, uh, those are great thoughts. So thank you to each of you for participating today. Uh, and I, I do think that both this, this original article and, and Dr. Wyman, your editorial, are really going to help move this field along. Um, thank you each for participating today. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thanks, David.